Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts podcast. My name is Mung. Hey everyone, it's Los, and who is ready to talk some AFC running backs, the grinders, the powerhouses, the pass catchers, the guys that are going to win you your fantasy league this year? Yeah, I feel like the excitement is growing. Uh, we're just over a week away from the start of the season, and uh, you know we talked a lot about all the NFC teams and their respective backfields on this last show. Uh, we're going to do the exact same thing about the AFC teams today. Uh, we're going to talk about which running backs we like at ADP, um, any backup running backs or committee backfields we'll discuss. Uh, we're going to talk about finding that running back value in the middle and late rounds of drafts uh, as a big strategy to winning your league. It is the most important position on your fantasy roster, the least replaceable, but also the most replaceable if you know where to look. Yeah, and with our help, hopefully you will know where to look. So let's yep. kick it off with uh, what better team uh, than the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl, the reigning Super Bowl champions, uh, kicking off the AFC West here. Of course, the rookie phenom, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, his ADP has shot up. Upon the news that Damian Williams opted out, uh, are you in or out, Los, at his current ADP? Uh, he's going generally in the you know, seventh or eighth overall. Yeah, I am in. Call me all the way in because I would bring him up to six. All right. I think I'm right there with you. Um, is there a handcuff for him? It sounds like Daryl Williams has been seeing the most work in camp behind Edwards Hilaire, but you know, they've got DeAndre Washington and Darwin Thompson. Is it going to be just a messy committee if Edwards Hilaire were to miss time? You know, I think it does become a committee. Um, Andy Reid does lean on one back typically, um, but we have seen him, you know, split time. You know, back in the day, we saw Spencer Ware split time with Larry Johnson. Um, he does typically try to stick with one. And I think if he, I don't know who it would be, honestly, right now. We've seen Daryl Williams get carries, but we've also seen darwin thompson entirely disappear like last year he was supposed to be the the next big thing yeah i think i'm leaning uh you know in round 15 16 those lay rounds if i had to pick one right now it'd be daryl williams um to me he's that you know that reliable guy he's not the flashiest talent by any means but he reminds me kind of spencer Ware, right you trust him to be in his spot uh the blocking assignments so I think if I had to pick one right now, it's Daryl Williams, but I, I do think it would be some sort of committee. Yep, completely agree. Okay, then. Let's move on to the Denver Broncos next. Melvin Gordon is being drafted right now as the RB20 or so in the early fourth round. And then we've got Philip Lindsay going far later as the RB32 in the eighth or ninth round. Um, Gordon, of course, uh, he had a minor rib injury, it sounds like, but uh, nothing of concern. It sounds like he will be ready for week one. But I've also seen some Lindsay hype recently after the news that Gordon and Lindsay have been splitting first team reps. Personally, uh, I'm not really buying it. To me, money talks and Denver paying Gordon $16 million over the next two years speaks pretty loudly. Lindsay could be involved for sure. Uh, but I still think that I'm projecting Gordon for more carries and receptions overall. And of course, mo- most importantly, more red zone usage. So 
I'm fine with Gordon in the fourth round as your RB2. Um, and personally, I think Lindsay's a little bit overvalued as a handcuff. Where are you on these two guys? I think this is a 65-35 backfield. I have counted out and uh, just turned a blind eye to Philip Lindsay twice already, and I've been wrong twice. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not about to do that third time. I, I think this is a guy who fights, who knows how to fight, who is going to maintain a role in this in this backfield. And it may not be enough to, it may not be a 1A, it may not be enough to earn him weekly flex appeal for your starting lineup, but I do think it is going to be enough to, uh, to ding Gordon's value as a running back too. Okay, so you're not targeting Gordon at ADP then? No, I have him a few spots back. Okay, and then what about Lindsay? Have you been grabbing him in, in that eighth, ninth round then? You know, I, I think he gets just enough value to not really be important enough. I, I don't, I don't, I like you, I don't buy the 1A, 1B hype. Um, so I, I think he just sort of falls in that spot like a, like a New England Patriots running back, something like that, where sure, he's going to get some work, but not anything you really feel like starting. Okay, so you really don't want any part of the Denver backfield? I really don't. Okay, I got you. I think for me, uh, depending on team construction, I'm fine with Gordon in the fourth. Uh, if a lot of guys are gone uh, that I like in that range. Outside of that, uh, I'm really not targeting Lindsay, uh, same as you. All right, sounds good. Okay, uh, we'll move on then to the Las Vegas Raiders in their brand new stadium. Josh Jacobs being drafted as the RB13, 18th overall in that early mid-second round range. That seems pretty reasonable to me. Um, we talked a little bit last show that Jacobs, along with Chubb and Eckler, are targets of mine in that late first, early second round with a lot of potential holdout situations and a few injury concerns uh, in that range. Um, I'm still skeptical about John Gruen saying that Jacobs is going to catch a ton of passes though this year. Uh, it just seems to me that every single move that the Raiders have made this offseason from re-signing Jalen Rashard to signing Theo Riddick and drafting Lynn Bowden really contradicts that statement. Mm, I, I don't expect elite upside from Jacobs but I'm pretty fine with his ADP. This is uh, another situation as well where I don't see a real handcuff. Bowden would probably be my priority waiver wire add out of the rest if Jacobs were to miss time, but I don't think that any of them really need to be drafted right now outside of deep leagues. Yeah, this is a guy I am actually pretty excited about as opposed to the Denver backfield. I buy the hype on Josh Jacobs. I see the entire point on getting that depth, getting those pass-catching backs, but I don't know. The spin I put to it is I think Gruden is going to use the crap out of Josh Jacobs and knows that there might be a potential for a little overuse that might need to be spelled a little bit or might have, you know, run into injury with the amount of usage. So early season, I think Josh Jacobs is just about as locked as it gets as a running back one. I, I'm actually drafting him a little higher than he's going. Okay. Yeah, I have no issue with that. I think even if he doesn't see a ton of work in the passing game, He's going to see a ton of rushing volume and behind a pretty good uh, uh, Raiders offensive line that's probably, you know, top five, top eight in the league. Yeah, and they, they did add a lot of pass-catching options, but Derek Carr is, is not, you know, an elite quarterback to steal, you know, a Joe Flacco euphemism, right? But uh, he, he's going to keep that ball moving downfield, and that's going to increase the opportunities for Josh Jacobs to score on the ground, which is what John Gruden wants to do. 
You know something? I think that's the very first time on this show that you've correctly called him Derek Carr and not David Carr. I think you're right. Oh my, you know what? You just screwed us for the whole rest of the season. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so very proud right now. My heart is bursting with pride. And <laughs> yeah, and it all goes just like that. We're, we're making progress here. We're making progress. Slowly but surely. Year five. <laughs> and uh, now we're going to move on to the Los Angeles Chargers, not the San Diego Chargers anymore. Austin Eckler being taken. Wish me luck. Yeah, this is another one, right? Um, Eckler's being taken as the RB12 right now, ADP in that same range, that early second, mid-second round. I don't hate it, but uh, I'm all about minimizing risk early in drafts. We've talked a lot about that recently. And at that spot, I, I'd rather take Chubb. I'd rather take Jacobs, guys with solid workloads and offenses that haven't changed a ton versus, um, you know, uh, an offense that's, you know, starting a new QB and possibly a rookie quarterback at some point in the season. So if we've gotten to the point in the mid-second round where a lot of my running back targets have been gone, even though I think Eckler is a strong running back too with RB1 upside, uh, there's enough uncertainty that I think in that range, I'm going for an elite tight end. I'm, I'm targeting a Kelsey or a Kittle because there are some running backs who I think are basically just as good, but going much later in that early mid third round. And I would rather take them on that turn back. I'm right on board with you here. Actually, um, I'm hearing a lot of positive talk for Austin Eckler, and he has been great the past two seasons, um, but he's going to be the lead back here probably, and, and I just don't see it happening for him. Um, I'm hearing a lot of talk from a lot of the analysts. I think just completely misassessing this team. They're talking about Eckler is going to maintain this high volume usage because of Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is not a quarterback that throws it short to the running back. They say that he's not a quarterback that throws it deep. Tyrod Taylor is a quarterback that throws it deep. If you dial back any of the tape of him with the Bills, that was his game. He would huck it deep to Stefan Diggs or whoever was on the other side of the field. And that would be his Sammy game. Watkins. They'd be 50-50 balls. That's how they would move down the field between that and him taking the ball in his own ha own hands and running it. Now, he's only about 31, 30, so he's not too old to be running the football. And, but that itself is going to hurt Austin Eckler's value itself. Phillip Rivers was not running for short yardage, so he was dumping it off to Austin Eckler to take those plays. Tyrod Taylor is going to run for short yardage. I don't think we're going to see you know, uh, Cam Newton or you know another – who's another uh, Josh Allen, anything like that out of Tyrod Taylor here, but he's going to run, you know, five yard, six yard chunks. And those would be the, the Austin Eckler dump offs of the last two to three years. So I, I think he's going too high for me. Yep. Yeah. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. Um, as you said, uh, you said Stefan Diggs, but I think you meant Sammy Watkins, right? Back Sammy Watkins. Day. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, that was when Watkins was going ballistic in his rookie year, and right. you know, that was with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, the PPR volume is a concern. Um, I think Eckler will still get plenty of work, but at the same time, uh, you know, he had a huge, uh, a very high uh, scoring rate last year as well, and I expect that to regress. Part of the reason that um, I'm a little bit further down on Aaron Jones, as we talked about last show, same with Eckler here. Um, like I said, I'm fine with him in that late second round, but I think going in the early mid is a little bit overvalued. 
The only thing keeping him in that spot right now for me is Kenyon Drake's boot, Joe Mixon's holdout, Kamara's hold, or no, Joe Mixon's migraines, so to speak, Kamara's holdout, and Dalvin Cook's potential holdout. Those are the only things keeping uh, Eckler's value there. Yep, and if you want to uh, listen about Dalvin Cook and uh, Alvin Kamara, we did discuss them on the last show, and we're going to talk about Mixon uh, in a little bit later on. So that's going to wrap up. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? Let's talk about the other two guys real quick. Um, sure. Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly, the rookie. It sounds like Jackson has missed a, a couple days now with some unknown, seemingly minor injury. Uh, but there has been some Josh Kelly hype from the beat reports. Uh, he's playing very well in camp. Uh, is he the target out of the two uh, if you're backing up Eckler or if you're taking the, the number two in this committee? Only in a, you know 14th, 15th round where you already have your team entirely set and you really feel the need for something like that. But yeah, I, I'm not dra- drafting Justin Jackson at all here. For these late round undrafted in, in the actual NFL, you know, unsigned guys or um, – you know, unsigned or gosh, UDFA, uh, undrafted free agent guys missing any time in, in preseason camp is, is not going to do well for their season outlook. Yep. And, uh, all right, let's move on then to the AFC North here. We've got the Baltimore Ravens and Mark Ingram. His ADP is in the sixth round. It's not egregious, but I'm also not finding myself with many shares of Ingram. Uh, he's being drafted as the RB26, so certainly a lot of upside to beat that ADP, but at the same time, you've got the threat of Lamar Jackson stealing some more rushing touchdowns uh, after Ingram scored 10 touchdowns last year on just over 200 carries. And then, of course, there's the threat of the rookie J.K. Dobbins taking on a bigger role by the end of the season. Um, and then they still may work in Gus Edwards. It was really a big committee last year. They may stick with that approach. And I just don't love him in the sixth round. I'd much rather take a shot on Dobbins in, you know, the eighth round a couple rounds later as an upside RB3 than Ingram in the sixth. I think you've got it spot on with your analysis of the backfield here. I think there are very specific instances where Mark Ingram becomes a very, very good running back. Say you have the 101 and you take Christian McCaffrey. It is very likely that you are going to miss out on a solid running back too, where Mark Ingram could provide that early season, very solid running back to work for you, um, you plugging him in. What I would do is try and make the, make a target of getting McCaffrey. You know, you don't have to target that if you get him you got him target McCaffrey there and then on your swing back you can take that risk of grabbing Jonathan Taylor in the third and then come back in the fifth and grab Mark Ingram and then you have a solid running back in the best running offense to start the season if Jonathan Taylor starts the season well then you've got him also if he starts a little later later in the season then you just plug Jonathan Taylor in where you had Mark Ingram boom championship you're welcome (laughs) <laughs> We're getting into very specific hypotheticals, but um, I do agree that Ingram is a great RB2 uh, if you've got some upside guys who could take over midseason, but you want someone uh, reliable to start week one, right? And yep. kind of even building on the every scenario, season count, yeah, week one counts as much as week 13. Every win gets you into those playoffs. Yeah. And I, I think to even build on the scenario that you built. I think my ideal draft would be, you know, a, a top three draft spot. So you're guaranteed one of McCaffrey, Elliott, and Barkley. Um, mm-hmm. In that late second, I, I'd love to grab a Kittle or a Kelsey there. And then, as you said, Jonathan Taylor in the early third. 
Uh, and then for me, I, even before Ingram in the sixth, uh, I, I'd like Cam Akers in the sixth to start week one. I know you're not quite as high on him. <laughs> Um, but the point is, these are the guys that, you know, they may not still be in your starting lineup by the fantasy playoffs, but they can win you a few weeks early on. There you go. All right. Uh, speaking of guys who could win you a few weeks early on, <laughs> Pittsburgh, we've got James Conner. His ADP is the RB21 right now in the early fourth, late third round. Uh, and that's really a reflection on a, a 2019 season marred by both a shoulder and a leg injury. But Connor easily has top five running back upside if he can stay healthy. He's one of my favorite targets. Uh, if Jonathan Taylor uh, is gone in the third, uh, him and Chris Carson uh, are both great veterans. Um, you know, if you're concerned about Connor's health, it sounds like Benny Snell is going to be the number two guy in Pittsburgh. So he seems like a fairly clear handcuff that's going in the very late rounds. So pretty cheap to handcuff Connor if you're investing him in the third. You hit the nail on the head. We've seen from Mike Tomlin that he leans on one running back. If James Conner can keep himself healthy, he's a lock for top 10 running back this season. And again, Benny Snell is leading the backfield in touches. He's looking like the best uh, best handcuff passing Jalen Samuels and uh, the rookie Anthony McFarland. So Benny Snell, uh, deep. All right, let's move right along then to the Cleveland Browns. We've got Nick Chubb uh, generally going 11th or 12th overall as the RB7, RB8. And then Kareem Hunt is being drafted as the RB28, uh, generally in the sixth round or so. There's been a lot of debate this offseason about how much Hunt is going to get used on pass catching downs and how that could potentially limit Chubb's upside. But personally, I think Chubb is pretty properly valued in that late first uh, round area um, he's a decent receiver as well and we saw Stefanski last year really use Dalvin Cook like a workhorse so it's not guaranteed that Hunt is going to just automatically take away a ton of receiving work um, certainly both are talented running backs but I think people are just assuming a little bit too much that Chubb's going to come off on every single third down when that's probably not going to be the case and for that reason, I, I think Hunt is too rich for me in the sixth. I see him as more of a pure handcuff. Uh, I know a lot of people see him with standalone flex valley, but I don't think that's a guarantee. Um, and I, I like Chubb just fine in that late first round range. I do think, well, I agree with you on Nick Chubb. I think he's properly valued. I think he has a shot at leading the league in rushing this year. I think he's going to be near that near that spot every year, and it's all the better for him that Kevin Stefanski is leading this team now. Um, but I am of the camp that thinks uh, Hunt has standalone value. We saw when he came back to the season last year, he did take a small ding away from a small chunk away from Nick Chubb but by no means did Nick Chubb drop from a running back one to running back four or three even he was still a very very useful running back but Kareem Hunt found his own ways to make value and that was in the passing game and I think it was very successful for them and I don't see any reason that Baker Mayfield would not try to continue to use Kareem Hunt so I do think that Hunt regardless of Nick Chubb has weekly flex plug-in you're going to be happy with him. He's going to be very solid for you. Probably put up near running back two numbers. Okay, so I guess let me ask you a few questions here then. Um, Please. We've got Hunt being drafted as the next running back off the board behind Mark Ingram. Are you taking okay. Ingram? I would take Ingram. Okay. Uh, what about the guy right after Hunt, DeAndre Swift? I would take Hunt. Okay. Raheem Mostert? Hunt. Cam Akers? 
definitely hunt. David Montgomery? Right now, definitely hunt. Okay. I See, I think I'm just not on board there. I, those are all guys that I prefer over Hunt at that point. Yeah, it, it all just depends on what you believe his usage to be. To me, those other guys that you named, I feel like their upside is going to be Kareem Hunt. Okay, see, I, I think their upside is far higher without a Chubb injury. Huh. Right. right. The, the only way I see Hunt having more upside than them in more clearly defined roles is if Chubb were to miss time. All right. And that's why we have drafts. Yep. So I'll, I'll gladly let you have him there. Um, you know, some, uh, some and other guys. Him. And to back that up, I have recently required him in, my, in our dynasty league. So I'm putting my money where my mouth, where my mouth is. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, even other guys going behind Hunt, like Ronald Jones and J.K. Dobbins and Jordan Howard, I like all of them. I like all of them over Hunt. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think they come close to his value. J.K. Dobbins, if Ingram goes away, but I, I really think Ingram's too good to go away in this offense. Like he he unless he fails tremendously, but if he fails tremendously, that means that the offense as a whole has to be failing tremendously. Yeah, I think we're just not on the same page in, in terms of this Cleveland backfield. Yeah, that's but all right. That's fine. Yeah. Um, okay, let's finish off the AFC North then with the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Mixon has been out of practice, supposedly dealing with migraines, but there's speculation that this is actually a thinly veiled contract holdout. Mixon's ADP has been hovering around the early second round, around 14th overall, uh, RB10, RB11 off the board. Uh, does this drop him in your rankings, Los? Or are you still willing to take uh, Joe Mixon in the late first, early second? I would still be willing to take him in the, in the early second. He's not a first rounder, in my opinion. I'd much rather have um, Josh Jacobs, who I think on ADP is going behind Joe Mixon. Um, I, I hope he doesn't actually have migraines. Those are terrible to deal with. Um, but it does seem to be something that sort of recurs in athletes with contract situations. See uh, the Scottie Pippen <laughs> situation of, uh, of a couple decades ago, if you, if you want a little more insight on that. Um, hopefully they can get this contract settled, fixed. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Joe Mixon is a guy who can really afford to be missing time on the playing field. And he, he needs to gel with his quarterback, with his team. Cincinnati needs him on the field to get things, to get this team moving. I hope we see him week one. Okay, so you said that you would take Josh Jacobs over him, right? Yes, but that's uh, regardless of the migraines. Sure. Uh, what about Kenyon Drake? Well, his precautionary boot has me precautioned. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, I would take Mixon over Drake, but they're right next to each other. Okay, um, Aaron Jones. I think. <sighs> Mixon. Okay, so it sounds like you're not too concerned about him. Yeah, I guess two out of ten concern, I guess. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I know I've said this a lot in last show and earlier this show, but I think when we get to that range, um, when we're past the running backs that I like a lot, uh, I, I think my favorite pivot is just to grab an elite tight end and not worry about it. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, you didn't ask me that. Well, right, but okay. <laughs> But I guess also of the names that we mentioned, I, I would probably take Drake and possibly even Eckler over Mixon at this point. 
Um, hmm. And then that yeah, kind of goes back one. to my disdain for uh, the man or the ownership of, of the Bengals. Um, they've just missed a ton of opportunities to really build around their talent, and, and they've seemed to be pretty cheap over the last decade or so. So I, I just don't know if if they will get something done. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I'm not in the uh, I'm not in the front office. Yeah, and then b- behind Mixon, then um, I mean Giovanni Bernard. He's even with this potential holdout, he's basically an afterthought, and I, I don't see him being drafted very often. And then course you've got Travion Williams uh Samaj P. Ryan if you remember him uh, I do and then uh Jacques Patrick who uh, we've heard a little bit of hype about uh what are your thoughts on the rest of the backfield if Mixon were to miss time I think Bernard probably gets a healthy dose of pass work honestly um that's not necessarily something we've seen with the Stefanski offense but but it is what we see with Giovanni Bernard. I don't actually know. It's probably more of a committee than anything else. Like none of those names are lighting any any scoreboards up, other than Gio Bernard, who did have some standalone PPR value a few years back. Okay, so basically, you're comfortable with mixing the early second, and you're comfortable not handcuffing. Correct. Okay, sounds good. Let's move on then. All right, that'll move us on to the AFC East, some people's favorite, uh, some people's favorite conference or uh, division. The Buffalo Bills. Devin Singletary is going as the running back twenty-three early in the fourth round, while rookie Zach Moss is going late in the ninth. Typical, typically, this would be a okay in my book, choosing to not rely too heavily on rookies. But I think there's an exception here. Coaching has said that Zach Moss will be used in the Frank Gore role of 2019, which was a very high leverage role getting the goal line work and a lot of um lot, lot of rushes each each and every game last year singletary was primarily the passing down back and between the 20s and that's going to continue but moss was drafted with the same draft capital in the third round as singletary was in the year prior which tells me that he's going to be used just as much as singletary was if they were super thrilled with singletary they probably would have went elsewhere in the third round maybe i'm wrong i don't know also, Josh Allen's going to continue to vulture some goal line, goal line rushes and goal line work on his own. Count me in at that cost for Zach Moss, as I think he near equals Singletary's point totals this year. But but Singletary is a, is a staunch avoid for me. Yeah, I think the earliest I would take Singletary is the seventh round, something yeah, like sure. that, which basically yeah. means I'm not going to get him. He'll be long gone. Yeah. Long um, gone. Yep. And, you know, I, I had grabbed a few shares of Zach Moss uh, earlier this preseason, but, you know, that was in, like, the 11th, 12th rounds, and his ADP has really gone up with some hype pieces as of late. Um, I've seen him going consistently in the 8th or ninth round. Uh, one time, I think, even in the 7th round, which is far, oh, far wow. too early for me. So while I agree that their ADPs should should have been fairly close to begin with, um, I think now it's kind of swinging the opposite direction. As you said, you know his ADP is in the ninth, so in the ninth I'd be fine taking Moss. Again, this goes back to, um, you know, in those murky backfields, kind of taking the cheaper guy with similar upside, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And but you know, as you said too, uh, Josh Allen's still going to be there. He's talking about how he's going to rely on res- res- excuse me his receivers more this year. Uh, to do the work for him rather than use his legs, but we all know he's still going to run. Um, 
But if we're talking the seventh round, we're talking about guys like, well, Trey Cohen's situation might be a little different with David Montgomery gone, but we're talking about guys like Philip Lindsay, Jordan Howard, um, Matt Burita. I I think I'd rather have Moss above them regardless of the cost. Ooh, I don't know about that. Let's let's take a look here and let me ask you some questions. Sure. Uh, I, I know you'll probably take Ronald Jones over Moss, right? Yes. Uh, James White. Uh, I'd have Moss. Okay, that's fine. Tariq Cohen, Philip Lindsay. You said Jordan Howard. Yeah, all Cohen those guys. probably right now, but not Lindsay. Okay, not Lindsay. Uh, J.K. Dobbins. That depends on roster construction. I know I, I've been saying that a lot, but it, it does. I mean, this is how this is how important draft roster construction is, especially in a year like this. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good point that you should keep hammering home because the point is to be flexible, right? Rankings aren't you know one hundred percent solid, and it really depends. No, on... and they're not meant to be. People people tie themselves to the number far too much. It's tiers and it's situations. Yep. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. Uh, Tevin Coleman or Zach Moss? I'd go I'd go Moss. I would go Moss there. Okay. Uh, see, I think I have no issue with Moss over any of those guys. Yeah. Um, although not Jordan Howard for me. Uh, I, I prefer okay. Howard. Um, okay. And I prefer... Uh, what was one of the names we talked about? I'm blanking now. J.K. Dobbins I would take uh, for the pure upside. Um, I probably would too. I probably would but, but stick I think with that. My point is, regardless, I think. I've been taking Moss a ton in best ball formats, but I think mm-hmm. it's still gonna be an inconsistent, uh, you know, div- division of touches in that backfield, regardless. So, I think I'm sort of getting the picture that you see him as an expensive AJ Dillon. No, because. Okay. Uh, I think well, single... then, I guess I, then I guess I'm not seeing things right. Um, no, because <laughs> I, I think Singletary's workload is in more danger than Aaron Jones, right? Okay. I would agree with that. Um, sure, I, I would agree with that. I think it's just going to be... I think he's going to be touchdown dependent. Let's put it that way. So he's like a Jordan Howard to me. Okay. Okay. I can dig that. All right. All right, moving right along to the New England Patriots. Now, ranking the New England running backs has always been a chore, but it's never been this bad. Sony Michelle crushed his fantasy owners last year, tanking teams despite 247 carries in a Tom Brady-led offense. This team's going to continue to lean on their defense if they're able to. And it's going to be definitely less efficient with less efficient of an offense with either Newton or Stidham rather than Brady. James White's going to be out there for passing downs, but the lack of but the offense lacks the upside. And Newton really, outside of Christian McCaffrey, does not have a history of heavy running back passing usage. Um, who McCaffrey clearly outclasses James White, so I don't see them forcing that part of the game plan. In addition, Rex Burkhead and Damian Harris will continue to rotate in, and they both have pass-catching ability themselves, and this is going to be frustrating beyond compare in an offense with now much less scoring upside than we're used to the Patriots having. White is going in the 7th in PPR, which I find about two rounds too high. Sonny Michelle's going in the 11th, which 
might actually present a slight value if he can fall into the end zone, you know, as many times as he should. Um, the other uh, the other two are going undrafted. I think that's just about right. But here is a reminder of the touchdown splits from last year in what was much likely a much better offense. White had six to- total touchdowns. Michelle had seven. Burkhead had three. And Brandon Bolden had four. So if you could, I would look elsewhere than New England this year. Yeah, I... I really don't love anyone here in this backfield. Um, I, I think Sony, or not, excuse me, not Sony Michelle, uh, James White <laughs> is best positioned to have uh, continued flex production in this backfield just because um, we did see Cam Newton, uh, you know, check it down a little bit more to Christian McCaffrey in recent years. Again, of course, that's McCaffrey, but, um, you know, I do think that White is the best all around back in that backfield. The problem for me is he's going in that, you know, eighth, ninth round, and that's just too expensive for me. There are a lot of wide receivers I'd prefer to take there. Um, I'd rather grab a tight end or a quarterback there if I haven't had if I haven't gotten one yet at that point. Uh, so I, I'm really out on White at ADP, even though I think he's the best uh, bet to lead this backfield in fantasy production. Uh, and then I really don't want Damian Harris or uh, Sony Michelle, um, mostly because we've seen a ton of players opt out on the Patriots, more so than basically any other team, I think. Um, and among them, you know, Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung, two key pieces of that defense. So I don't think this defense is going to be quite as elite as they were last year. So I don't know that they're yeah. going to be uh, running a ton. And then also their offensive line coach, Dante Skarnecchia, retired this offseason. James Devlin, their Pro Bowl uh, fullback, uh, who led the way for a lot of Sony Michelle touchdowns, he's retired. Um, So I I really don't like a ton of the rushing, uh, the one, the first and second town backs, Michelle or Harris, whoever wins that starting job, even if Michelle is healthy just because I don't see them scoring a ton of rushing touchdowns, especially if Cam Newton vultures a few here and there too. Yeah, I, th- I think we uh, I think we just about crushed them, so the Patriots are uh, done this year. <laughs> yeah, I-, I X out the Patriots' backfield, <laughs> basically. Yep, exactly. Uh, another exciting backfield, I don't know. Maybe it's exciting to you. Sounds like it could be Miami. Uh, I'm not very excited, but they did acquire two new backs this year to overhaul their running back room completely. They are definitely an upgrade from last year. Jordan Howard's going to be the early down back, who we have seen falter in the past game despite oodles of work with the jugs machine. And Matt Breida, <coughs> pardon, Matt Breida, I did cover my cough. Cover your cough, wash your hands. Matt Breida could provide a speedy spark on change of pace and passing down. Uh, both are going in the mid to late eighth round. I'm not expecting much scoring from this offense, and I'm expecting negative game scripts. So give me the slightly later Matt Breed of the two, but he himself carries multiple injury concerns and is probably going to find himself on your IR a few times. But hey, that should free up a roster spot for you. Yeah, I don't really want either. Uh, but if I had to pick, I'm actually on the other side of the coin as you. Um, I prefer Jordan Howard for the touchdown upside. I think he's going to be... Um, the the back that sees more work in the red zone. And then at the same time, uh, even though you brought up the the negative game script, uh, I do think that'll be a concern. But I think the concern of Breda staying healthy uh, outshines that. And I, I think Howard, while he's not a great pass catcher, he he's fine. <laughs> um, he's, yeah. he's had targets and receptions in the past. He, he won't do a ton with them. 
but in PPR formats, he can get you a catch or two a game. Now, we also don't see Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing to the running backs very much in general. Right, and that's another reason I'm not super high on Breda. Um, yeah. It, to me, I don't see... So here, here's... We'll go slightly off topic here. I, I just don't see a huge reason or any reasons for Miami to rush Tua uh, into their starting lineup because, I mean, they're not contenders this year. There's a chance the season gets shortened by COVID. Uh, there's just really no reason to risk him and his hip, even though it sounds like he's fine. I agree. All right. <laughs> just uh, just <laughs> want right. to get your thoughts on him. I, you know, we're not talking quarterbacks here, but I've, I've seen him... I've seen Tua going late in some drafts, and I don't really get that. No, I, I mean, no. They must be best ball or su- they must be like best ball super flex drafts, right? No, not even super flex. Just one well, quarterback. Well, some people still love to believe the hype, and you know he could be very good. I just don't think this is the year. And to get to another very exciting team, the New York Jets. Uh, the Jets backfield is looking like a major problem. Le'Veon Bell is being taken as the running back 18 at the back of the third round. I said last ap- episode that I was fine with him at that cost, but I'm starting to have a few more concerns. Uh, Adam Gase has come out saying that Frank Gore looks as good as he did eight years ago. Uh, Gase said last year that he was not interested in signing Le'Veon Bell, and beat writers have said that Frank Gore has looked like the best back in camp. If that doesn't worry you, I, I, I think it should. Uh, but the truth is that every back in this tier has their own warts. Uh, LaMichael Perrine was drafted in the fourth and probably has a large role to come next year. But this year, I think he's just pure depth in a bad offense. Um, try to avoid this team if you can. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think we talked a couple episodes ago um, and, and I'm not really on Bell. Uh, we, you know, we've heard consistent reports over the last year or so that Gase never wanted him and he doesn't like him. And I don't trust Gase to give Bell a huge workload. As you said, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote hype for 87 year old Frank Gore. And, you know, we saw uh, Leonard Fournette get cut. And I don't think the Jets will cut Bell because they owe him so much money. Uh, it doesn't make sense. But. Could we see him traded? Certainly. Uh, or could we see, you know, P. Ryan or Gore just get more work just because Gase hates him? I would not put it past him because I don't think he's a great coach. So there's really no reason to have any shares of Bell this year unless he drops to like the fifth round, I guess. That's maybe when I'd be like, all right, he'll get enough volume in a bad offense. But I, I won't have any shares of Le'Veon Bell this year. It doesn't matter what we think about Frank Gore. It matters what Frank Gore's coach thinks about Frank Gore. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even though, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not disparaging Frank Gore. He's one of the greats, and in my opinion, he is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he has to be. Right? I mean, come on, at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just just the consistency over the last almost two decades. Exactly. All right, anything else on the East? I think that'll wrap it up. Then let's head on over to the AFC South, our final quadrant. 
Bill O'Brien traded superstar DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and his massive contract to address issues in their backfield. David Johnson has had multiple recent injury issues and was ineffective in the Arizona offense last year. But here we have a significant investment from Houston, so I do expect him to see heavy usage. He's a great pass-catching back, but Deshaun Watson has not been known to use the running back as much in the past game as other quarterbacks. Maybe that changes with Hopkins gone just out of necessity. David Johnson is going as running back 22 at the top of the fourth round, which I think is a pretty fair price. It's behind most of the highly desired starters. He's backed up by in the 11th round by running back Duke Johnson, who provides a very similar game with pass-catching upside. I actually don't get the feeling that Duke sees much work unless something were to put David Johnson on the shelf. So I think 11, 11th round is a little too rich for David uh, for Duke Johnson. Yeah, I like, I like David Johnson fine. Um, but again, he's going in that fourth uh fourth round range where there are just so many other guys i like over him um you know I, i've talked a lot about my targets in that range uh, alan robinson chris carson james connor jonathan taylor all those guys i'm taking over david johnson um if i did not grab kittle or kelsey uh, mark andrews in that range is a great pivot um Wide receivers, uh, you know, you can consistently get guys like Adam Thielen, Cortland Sutton, DJ Shark in that range, all of whom I would take over David Johnson. So I, I like David Johnson fine. I even think he has top 12 running back upside if he stays healthy, but I, I just haven't found myself having him in, on many rosters. I think we have to we have to attack the the thought the uh, the ideology a little bit. What if uh, you end up drafting, and I, I, I think the answer is you just wouldn't do it, but what happens if, say, something goes awry and Michael Thomas drops to it at, at the 1-9 because everybody's just hammering running backs? I'm just trying to find a scenario where you aren't already solid at running back at the point where you'd be drafting David Johnson if you had to. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So to your point, let's say I started the draft with, like, Michael Thomas drops to, like, the late late first um you know i grab thomas and then i grab uh, an elite tight end on the way back right um sure i don't think you would do that would you if thomas falls that far it's hard for me not to but then it, you would have to be grabbing a tight end at say the 2.4 call it right would you would you make that move and leave yourself without a running back not unless all the running backs are gone that I like at okay. that point, which is rare. Um, but it's but also that could very conceivably happen. But it's it's also very rare that I've seen Thomas drop that far. I guess is my that's, point. That's also true. Sure. Um, so Would, so I guess. But let's let's get back to the questions okay. somehow. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think David Johnson is a fine RB two. Um, maybe even your RB one. As to your point, it, you know, if you went zero RB uh, in the first three four rounds and he falls. Um, and then, as you said, uh, Duke Johnson, I'm not really on him as well. Uh, you know, they, they traded for David Johnson. He's on a one-year deal. Bill O'Brien wants to show everyone that, you know, his trade was worthwhile, so they're going to use David Johnson. Yeah. I wasn't trying to be combative. I'm just trying to make the point that if you don't go running back early, you can't just keep skipping running backs, or else you're going to end up with Sony Michelle and Matt Breida, and there is no way to win if you don't have running backs. Ooh, that sounds terrible but yeah right? I, I think i'd be fine yeah. with david johnson in that scenario 
um, assuming I don't have a running back yet. And then, you know, the guys that I mentioned, Taylor, Carson, Connor, they're all gone. Uh, I would yeah, take Gurley over play. David Johnson as well. Say that again? I would take Gurley over David Johnson as well. Yeah, I would too right now uh, the, in those offenses. Much much more pass-catching upside to Gurley, in my opinion. All right, that'll move us on to a fun backfield. Indianapolis, there's definitely more questions than answers to be had with the Indianapolis backfield. My gut so far is that Marlon Mack is going to get the start in early portions of the year, but the talent of Jonathan Taylor cannot be denied. Barring injury, I think he becomes a near every down back by season's end. But it is a major gamble to draft him as your starting quarterback, in my opinion. And that is where he's going as running back 20 firmly a running back two in the fourth round now if i went i think i've hammered this a little hard but let's just address it you know for the final time if i went running back in the first two rounds then i would very strongly consider grabbing taylor in the fourth and would be very comfortable waiting but uh but the early week games count just as much as the later weeks and the risk of coronavirus causing an early season end make me very cautious to rely too heavily on the rook on this rookie or any rookie max going early in the ninth but i think any taylor drafter without two solid starting running backs needs to make that eighth round investment on him and i don't think i'm willing to do that honestly i don't think max going to be that good so i would not be taking taylor without two solid starting running backs to to surround him naeem hines is getting plenty of support and praise from the coaching staff and philip rivers is in town so i could actually see weekly low to mid to some boom games with flex value with naeem hines like an eckler of two years ago type of role not a clear of last year don't hear what i'm not talking about yep i, I like heinz late um he's a guy like uh, tony pollard boston scott um that i'm targeting in like the 13th 14th round that that area um yeah. but I, i'm going to contradict what you said with jonathan taylor even if you d you only have one solid running back in the top two rounds right i would still be okay with taylor as my rp2 and here's why because as you said, you know, you can grab guys like Cam Akers, Mark Ingram in the 6th, 7th round who can fill that role early in the season if you don't trust the workload for Taylor. Um, but also, I will say this, the Colts open the season with Jacksonville, which is just a complete mess on defense. There's a chance that we see Jonathan Taylor dominate Jacksonville and just never look back. It's possible, but we could also see Mac dominate Jacksonville. And then what's coaching going to do? Say, hey, great game, bud. Go sit down. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what they would do. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I don't think that that's a, a coaching staff that's going to reward players like that. No, not I mean, not for the rest of the season, but there's also a chance that they're up, you know, three scores by halftime on Jacksonville. Right. Yeah. So I, I, it's true for me. I've found myself coming away with Taylor a lot in the third round. Um, All right. And, well, I hope for your sake you're right. And so here, and even you know, to supplement him, if you're not confident, I could even take a guy like Ronald Jones, who I know you like, because to me that backfield could get messy. But I do see Jones starting as the lead back in the first few weeks. So or Mark again, Ingram or something. Sure. Right. So I think there are plenty of options to kind of pad those first few weeks if you are concerned about taylor's workload early on but but the problem for me is i can't guarantee that i'm going to be able to draft that i'm going to be able to grab one of those guys later so i but and i just don't feel like you can win weeks if you know you're relying on a running back too 
who is getting, you know, six six touches in a game to open the season as a rookie in a COVID-shortened offseason. That's fair, but I, I think his respective upside and floor are still worthwhile to me in round three. All right. We'll see. We'll see. I hope you're right. Great player. Hope he gets the opportunity. All right. On to Jacksonville. I don't know if I have any more great players to talk about for this segment. Uh, I woke up this morning with the news of Leonard Fournette being cut from the Jaguars. Uh, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised. I thought they would just use him for the last year of his deal in a lost season and move forward next year. Now the backfield belongs to second-year Ryquel Armstead, PPR darling Chris Thompson, who has a history with the new coaching staff, and Devin Azigbo. We will have to see how things look in camp in the next week, but I think, in my opinion, the clear winner here is Chris Thompson. And while his draft price is nowhere near there now, I would be comfortable drafting him in the eighth or ninth round, depending how things shake out. He will not likely rise that far in preset ADP, so so just don't jump and spend that on him if you don't have to. But other shrewd drafters in your league are going to have him in their queue. And I think he more than fits in at the Cohen, Lindsey, Dobbins tier. As we've said before, this team's going to need to pass a ton. And while he's healthy, which is a big while, he gets he gets injured quite a bit, unfortunately. He's going to be very good. I think he's going to be as rock steady of a running back, too, due to all his pass catching upside. And with Minshew showing that he's like to throw the ball to the, uh, the running back, let's not forget that uh, Leonard Fournette had 70 receptions last year which is just totally nuts man i i bumped up chris thompson a lot after the four net news but round eight is ooh, that's way too high for me i think sure round 11 or so is when i would take a chance on chris thompson um i i think he has that rapport built with jay gruden which is why they brought him along and I, I do think he'll open the season as the primary pass catching back and maybe even the lead back you know, in terms of touches in that backfield, especially with the Jaguars seeing a ton of negative game scripts. But two concerns of mine are, one, as you mentioned, Thompson has been pretty frail. He's missed a lot of games uh, in, in the last few years of his career. And at the same time, I, I think eventually, you know, clearly Jacksonville's tanking for Trevor, Trevor Lawrence here. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the same time, why wouldn't they see what they have in Armstead and Azigbo to see if those are, you know, pieces worth keeping around for the future? Kind of, you know, take a test drive. I think the reason is because, unfortunately, we just don't see teams do that. We say that all the time. We say it in baseball. We say it in football. But teams just don't do that. I got that. For some reason, that's not like a long-standing coaching philosophy to see what you have on your team they, they just don't do it all right well, i mean that's fair but uh to me uh, i still would not take thompson in the single digits rounds maybe the 10th at the absolute earliest all right i'm not gonna fight you about it i mean gee all right that'll pull us into our final team the tennessee titans derrick henry finally broke out last year leading the league in rushing and has earned himself a first round price at running back six he has a good chance to lead the league in carries this year uh we'd love to see him uh, get more passing game work which there is a chance of happening since his main backup is rookie darrington evans even last year while he only drew 24 targets that was only eight fewer than Deion lewis's 32 uh henry is not going to 
leave the field much, if at all. If he sees a dip in his 16 rushing touchdowns, it is likely he'll finish below the running back six to guys with much more receiving upside, like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, potentially Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders if he's healthy. But that's the tier that you're looking at. Um, I have CEH above him personally. Uh, What do you think, Mo? I have no issue with CEH above him, uh, but I personally have Henry at five and CEH at six. Um, and at, at the end of this day, this really comes down to my belief that Derrick Henry is enough of an outlier to continue scoring touchdowns at an above average rate in this Tennessee offense uh, that really centers around him. So, you know, Henry could have a low floor some weeks due to that la- that lack of uh, receiving work, uh, especially if he doesn't find the end zone. But I would be b- willing to bet that he finds the end zone more weeks than not this year. Um, I'm actually working on an article right now. Uh, you can find my work over at Fantrax.com. Uh, and, and the article is titled, uh, Don't Fear Regression for These Outlier Candidates. And Henry, uh, hint, hint, is one of them. Uh, I just don't see him, you know, he's one of the safest in terms of workload. And we know that volume is one of the biggest drivers for fantasy production for running backs. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't really have much more to add on the Tennessee side of things. Did you want to talk at all about Leonard Fournette? Yeah, I mean, we can we can wager. Uh, I mean, I our think guesses. he's a big enough name that he's going to land somewhere, and he's a big enough name that he's on enough dynasty rosters, or he's been drafted by enough people who are probably rushing to drop him. And I'm just not. I, I'm. I don't think you should drop him. I don't think that's something to do right now. No, I I, I don't think anyone's dropping him in dynasty formats. Uh, he's going to catch on somewhere, and you know, by the time you guys are listening to this show, you'll know where he's ended up, likely. Um, hopefully but uh if you want to take any bets right now uh i would say i'm just gonna run through some teams so i think chicago has a chance with david montgomery Mm -hmm. um being sidelined i i don't necessarily think he fits in with a matt Nagy scheme i know he's caught passes last year but he's just not that type of running back where he's not a shifty guy he's he's a bit of a plotter so even though i think he would fit well in chicago um if they change the scheme a little bit i don't see them going after him i think chicago is a leading candidate simply because of the montgomery news but i i don't think they should sign him for the for the reasons that you mentioned yeah um, i where do you think? Well, so I, I guess there are a lot of I guess I have a lot of thoughts, so should I just run through them? Sure, go ahead. I think Seattle would be, like, the prime spot for him to go. Pete Carroll is a rah-rah guy. He can get Leonard Fournette buying into this team. And a Chris Carson-Leonard Fournette combination, That now that's something that could be deadly. I could see that had they not already signed Carlos Hyde if they had decided to go into the season with Carson and hope that Penny's okay and just well with the rookie uh, DJ Dallas then I I could see Fournette but because Uh Hyde is already there I I don't think that they would go after another veteran running back all right Uh, this is just a bit of speculation and I think this is put out mostly by the Fournette camp pardon he has ties to Jalen Ramsey and he would love to play for the Rams I think that would make a lot of people very very upset and I don't think it'd be an overall very good fit with given their offensive line 
I don't think it happens. I think they learned their mistake with Gurley, um, paying a, a big name running back. And even though it's just $4 million for one year, I think they drafted Cam Akers for a reason. And despite some of the negative reports, I, I do think they're still hopeful on Daryl Henderson and they're happy with those and Malcolm Brown too. And just happy with those three guys heading into the season. The next three I have on my list, I, I have for a very specific, similar reason. I think Detroit loves to use a committee backfield. I think Philadelphia loves to use a committee backfield. And I think that, um, what was the other one? Uh, the Washington football team would be primed to tag Leonard Fournette for their backfield as well. Uh, sorry, that was Washington, Philadelphia, and who else? Uh, Philadelphia. Oh, Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Okay. Um I, again, I just don't see a lot of good landing spots for Fournette because Washington, perhaps, um, there are some character concerns with Fournette that were raised in the past, so we'll see if Rivera chooses to go that route. Um, Philadelphia, I think Washington is probably one of the leading candidates. Um, Philadelphia, I don't see only because they don't want to pay him that much. Um, remember, they wanted Devontae Freeman, but his demands were too high at even, I think it was like $3 million, and they would be paying for net four. And also, they need that money now because they're in talks with uh, bringing back Jason Peters at left tackle um, after uh, all the injuries they've had on the offensive line. So I just don't think they can spare any money uh, to oh, take I don't a think go. Fournette gets signed for more than $1.5 I honestly don't. Well, I think the four million would carry over to whoever claims him uh, on the way on waivers. Oh, I think he pass. I th I think he'll pass waiver. I think he'll pass the claiming. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't think he's gonna get signed this week. I I think someone will claim him. I don't really? think that. Yeah. I, if we're talking about, um, you know, he becomes a free agent, then of course a lot of teams open up. Uh, but I do think someone will take a chance on him. Uh, another team I don't think you mentioned yet, um, potentially uh, the Dolphins. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. And, yeah. I, uh, I, I think another team that could potentially make sense, Yeah, everyone always wants New England to be the destination for running oh backs. Oh, my gosh. But I, I yeah, they they take reclamation projects and make them work, don't they? Right, and you know, would it shock anyone if Burnett rushes for like 15 touchdowns this year with Belichick and Cam Newton? Um, but I don't know that that's realistic either. Uh, well, I got to tell you, just you just got me a little excited as a uh, as a Fournette dynasty owner. You just stepped me a foot and a half off the ledge. <laughs> I, I will say though, I think wherever he goes is probably going to be your sell high opportunity or your sell opportunity in dynasty leagues, right? Where you get that bounce back. Um, but, Fresh new toy. Yeah, but I just long term, I would still be off of Fournette. Yeah, there's there's no guarantee that he that he's still on a starting roster even if he gets claimed. Yeah, you know who's because I don't I don't believe any of his roster is guaranteed regardless. I think that was the whole to do with the suspension. I, from what I understand on Twitter, from what I've read, he assuming he gets claimed, they would have to pay him the four million, right? Really? Okay. Um. <laughs> But 
but again, uh, to your point, if he passes through the waivers unclaimed, then a lot of teams come into play. Sure. So... <laughs> It'll be an interesting night. I mean, every day has been interesting with news of people dropping out, news of people getting cut, news of injuries. That's the worst news of all. But I, I think we're going to keep seeing it's not going to be with the quite with quite the swiftness and speed that we saw the injuries as they came, you know, with with contact starting and with full activity starting. But we are definitely going to see a few more injuries before the season starts because of the shortened offseason workout. Yeah, and I know we've been talking running backs and Fournette, but I just want to throw this in here real quick. One of my new favorite targets, um, Jalen Rager. He was getting a ton of camp hype uh, uh. before his labrum injury, and it sounds like he's going to be out like three, four weeks, but that's going to put him around, you know, week two, week three. Um, and maybe maybe it'll take longer, but maybe Hopefully. not. But he's he's one of my favorite targets. You know that I drafted him in our Dynasty League rookie draft. Yep. Uh, yep. And, you know, from all the camp hype, he was starting to sneak up uh, into that 10th round, 9th round, uh, maybe even earlier in some leagues. And now with this injury, I assume he's going to drop back down to the, you know, the 12th, 13th round, right? Yeah. And if you have IR slots on your roster, I think he's worth a, worth the buy. Yeah, I think, you know, as you said, you're you're not counting on every player for every single week. And, uh, right. you know, even if you grab him in round 12, round 13, you're going to have other options to start. Uh, it's not like he's going to certainly better by that roster spot. Right. Um, yep. And then you put him in IR and then you can grab another guy off of the waivers in week one. Yeah, it, it's not sounding like J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is doing anything to step up in a major way, unfortunately. Jalen Hurd is still getting the most buzz out of camp. Um, so so I think when Rager's ready and back, I, I think he jumps right in. Wait, Jalen Hurd on the Niners? Do you mean someone else? Jalen Hurd? Yeah, not Jalen Hurd. Um, Deshaun Jackson? What's his name? No, 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 no. Marquise Goodwin? No, not that one. Uh, I'm not Keep sure. going. I'm not sure who you're talking about here. Oh, come on. Greg Ward? Greg Ward. Yep, Ward, Heard, you know. <laughs> gotcha, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, th I think Jalen Rager is going to be a huge part of this offense uh, as soon as he's ready to go. Well, I certainly have nothing negative to say about that. Well, already then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think we're getting down to it now. Uh, good luck in all of your guys' drafts. Um, when we do start our uh, regular season shows, I think we're going to try a new format this year uh, where uh, if you've been listening to us for a few years now, we generally have recapped uh, the prior week game results and some big stat lines for fantasy relevant players. But, uh, you know, I, th I think you guys and gals, uh, as our listeners, are pretty smart and pretty well informed for the most part. Uh, so... You know, we've had some feedback that maybe we just don't need to recap those games. Uh, you know, you guys know what's going on in the world of football for the most part. Uh, and maybe just focus on those priority waiver wire pickups, uh, the injury talk, uh, and then previewing the following week and talking about, you know, some starters to consider or some players to consider benching. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be a, an interesting and more productive shift, Los. We are a living, breathing pod, and we will give the people what they want. 
yeah and uh, as always if you guys have more specific questions regarding your drafts your team your league trade questions whatever it is uh, and very very soon uh, lineup questions uh, we're getting there uh, we're always happy to reply to questions on twitter you can find me at ffa underscore mung that's m-e-n-g and as always, you can find me at FFA underscore LOS, L-O-S, and Super Producer Dan at FFA underscore Dan. And, of course, you can find us on any streaming service, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming podcast episodes. You'll have something nice on your way to work, something for you early in the morning, just a happy little surprise to wake up to. Yeah, good luck in your drafts. Good luck in week one. The next time you guys will hear from us, uh, you will either be 1-0 or 0-1, hopefully 1-0. And as always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts.